Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life. The most important thing I learned was that just because you have something that works, it doesn't mean that the bill of materials is going to equal a profitable product. You're listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey, brought to you by Vary. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. And welcome back to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. Today, I'm joined by CTO of Alterco, Doug Robertson. We're going to discuss data security and consumer-centric product development. Doug, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Doug, for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Alterco? Sure. Alterco Robotics is located in Sofia, Bulgaria. They're the manufacturer of the Shelly brand of IoT products. We also have an office that we load uh, that we opened in Las Vegas in January of 2020, just before the pandemic hit, and that's where I operate out of. Cool. Um, you know, we're to talk a little bit about product development today, but what's like one thing that might surprise someone about the tech scene in Bulgaria or the engineering workforce that you engage with over there? Well, the, the first thing that I noticed is the culture is completely different than with North American companies I've, I've worked with. Here, it's always been sort of individual achievement. Uh, you know, I'm the star of this team, whereas the group that I'm working with now, everyone contributes to the team. They, they think team first and, and me second. It's a very warm environment compared to what I've worked in in the past, and, and it's been very successful. That's awesome to hear. W- one of the things that you mentioned in the pre-interview that I thought was really interesting was, uh, and, and of course, I think it was it was so interesting that we basically built the theme for this episode around it, but you guys' approach to product development, you know, you guys take a very consumer-centric approach. One of the mistakes that we see at Vary a lot, and you see the big guys make it as often as anyone else, they say, hey, what can we connect? Like technologically, what is connectable? And then, you know, let's go, let's go figure it out whether or not like there's a market for it or it's valuable for the consumers. You guys have a very different take on that. Can you talk about how Alterco thinks about product development and, you know, examples of maybe a time that you said, hey, we could do this, but we don't need to. There isn't value for the consumer. Right. Uh, Typically our products, uh, we've got three different kinds. We've got battery operated sensors. We have standard consumer products, smart plugs and bulbs. And those are really important uh, products, especially for the consumer. But our, our main product line are relays. And what's important there is the form factor is very versatile. It lets you use one device in a, a, a great number of use cases. So, for example, our, our flagship product, so to speak, the Shelly One, it's inexpensive, but it's still very high quality. It works with a range of voltages, 12-volt DC, 24 to 60 volt. DC, 110 to 230 volt AC, and that's plus or minus 10%. And the reason why that's a special product is because uh, you can use it in garage door openers with appliances, single pole lights, three-way switches, electrical outlets, sprinklers, well pumps, sump pumps, uh, 
I've used it to control contactors, to control appliances. You've got a lot of different ways you can use it. So in, from a consumer-centric standpoint, you give them an inexpensive tool that has a great deal of functionality, and you can use it in many different use cases. That's consumer-centric. But uh, as far as the development of products, our CEO is kind of rare in that he spends three or four hours a day on social media interacting with our customers. That's something you don't hear a lot about. For example, we've got a group on Facebook, a community support group with approximately 30,000 members. And he's in there for several hours a day, also on forums and other places, picking up ideas from customers. He's helping them with suggestions on how to accomplish their goals, and also listening to them when they come up with problems. We're very responsive to correcting bugs that our users find. The Shelly One that I mentioned earlier debuted in August of 2018, and to the best of my knowledge, we've had 63 firmware updates. Now, a lot of those were feature updates, adding new tools and, and uh, that sort of update, but we have regular bug fixes as well. So if you listen to your customers, you find out what their pain points are, and you present them a solution, you fix whatever problems come up in your product, you're going to have a much better customer experience than, say, a, a company that has a, a department of engineers that sit around wondering, what can we look at in, in our catalog that we can possibly connect? Or you have uh, a company that produces a product line and they don't update it for three years. Uh, I, I recently had some, some light switches that uh, I removed from a prior home automation install that I'd done and the manufacturer hadn't touched them since 2016. The same exact product, same exact firmware version, no changes. It's kind of hard to, to advance and keep up with what customers need when you've got a static product. Yeah, I think one of the things that jumped out at me when I was kind of looking through your product portfolio is how you've built the flexibility for your end customers to really adapt your products to an almost infinite spectrum of applications. And I guess that, that's obviously one of the strengths of the products that you've developed. I'd be curious to know how you guys have developed tool sets or interfaces that make that process easier for your customers and, and how they adapt your products to their specific applications. The first thing, you've got the physical dimensions of the products. They're small. And, and when I say small, I mean tiny. If you take a couple of Oreo cookies and stack them on top of each other, that's larger than the Shelly one. So this can fit into a gang box behind a, you know, and you know, a standard size gang box behind a light switch, even a decorator style switch or an electrical outlet, and the installer can still meet volume requirements for code. You know, it, it's very easy to, to fit this into the space, uh, especially when you compare it to, say, your larger switches, the Zigbee Z-Wave switches. They're very heavy duty and they're long lasting, but they're big and it's hard to, to fit them in the box. So the the first thing for versatility and, and is the tooling it so that it fits what the customer needs. But then you've got generational products. You've got uh, products that are built on a shared feature set. You know that uh, when you're setting up a new Shelly product, you connect to it the same way you connect to any other Shelly product. It's going to have the same menu options for configurations. Uh, it'll have specialty features that are unique to that device. For example, a temperature sensor isn't going to have the same controls as a dimmer but they're going to have the same interface. They're going to have the same AP when you're connecting to it. They're going to have the same web server built in. They're going to support REST. They're going to support MQT and CoAP. So you've got a consistent experience across the products. 
on the back side, the engineers, they're able to reuse code. They're able to reuse the radio for our module. You know, everything is based on the ESP8266, though we are moving to uh, ESP32. But when you're using the same module, we, we may adapt the antenna for the specific application. But we've got a lot of experience with this very specific processor. We know how it's going to work with the components that we regularly use. We, we put temperature sensors in a lot of our products. So we know how that works. We're very familiar with the device. We know what if, if we have to make a swap in components because of shortages, like a lot of companies are experiencing right now, we're very familiar with what our number two is and what's number three at bat and so on. So the experience is what makes it easy. Uh, we were originally saying that hardware is hard, and it, it, it really is. But with time, it becomes a lot easier. The experience is what makes it easy. You, you know, Doug, you, you just mentioned that you put a temp sensor. You guys put a temp sensor in a lot of your products. I just installed a Nest webcam yesterday. I, I know you mentioned in the pre-interview you have a young child. I have a young child as well. They're great devices to put, you know, over the 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 crib. I was really surprised to discover that there is not a temp sensor in that product. And of course, we're not in the practice of poking at Google on this podcast because we'd like to stay on the air and not have our hosting removed. But I, I am curious, like, you know, that seemed like such a slam dunk. I'm sure there's a reason why it's not there. But on the other side of the spectrum, one of the things we see in product development land a lot that has sunk more than a few battleships is this notion of very vocal minorities that are passionate about a product being developed that satisfies some use case that that they've got and the passion uh, a company can be can can mistake that passion for there being a broad audience you know a small number of extremely passionate people are very easy to mistake for you know a large audience what does that filtering look like for you how do you ensure that the things that you're building satisfy a broad enough audience that you guys can actually make some money and have a successful product versus, you know, the vocal minority issue? Well, you know, um, again, we've got different product lines. So you're going to always have consumers that are not comfortable installing our relays. For those customers, we've got smart bulbs, we've got plugs. But when we're developing, a, you know, a, a really specific product, Normally, it's going to be in a relay form factor, and the reason for that is because it's so universal. You can install it in any electrical circuit. And so that allows us to fill that narrow use case while still having a product that can be used for others. And the great thing is that a friend of mine always says this, electrons don't care. So what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you're installing your relay in a ceiling fan or an attic fan, or if you're connecting it to... to, to uh, control a, a contactor that's going to turn off thermocoupler on a, on a bearing, you know, that's something that's picking up temperature and it says, whoa, this is too hot. Any of these use cases are all valid use cases. You just try to make sure that when you're, you're meeting the requirements for this one vocal group, you're not shooting yourself in the foot by making something that's too narrow. Mm -hmm. And the, an easy way to do that is to add it as a software feature to an existing product. Just pulling on that thread a little bit, you mentioned, you know, having prior to being at Alterco led an uh, initiative that resulted in a working product, but not a viable marketable outcome. Can you talk about the scar tissue that you built up there? Like, give us a little background on 
the concept, how it played out, what worked, what didn't, some of your learnings along the way? Because it feels like that was very impactful in kind of Doug's journey as a connected device executive in this space. Well, absolutely. It was a great learning experience. And while the investment that I made in developing the product didn't have a financial return in terms of sales, uh, the education that I had from that can't be paid for. You just cannot get that from anything besides going out and doing it. Uh, the product was a, uh, a, a Wi-Fi connected battery powered security sensor. The use case was for a, a single point of entry or a single point that you need to secure, and it would connect to professional monitoring through the internet. There are a number of them that have, you know, uh, TCP IP APIs, and you can, you know, fairly easily set that up. But at the time, there weren't a lot of really solid Wi-Fi door and window sensors. So I, I had one. It, it had a a reed switch. It had lithium batteries. I had temperature sensor in it. You know, I was very proud of the the uh, the work I put in. I learned a lot. But the the most important thing I learned was that just because you have something that works, it doesn't mean that the bill of materials is going to equal a profitable product. This was going to be too expensive to retail. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. You've got you've got Elon Musk out here. You know, basically saying don't go to college. All the information is available for free to educate yourself in, you know, whatever uh, area you're passionate about. And in a way, like that's basically what you're saying. You know, you, you've you gone through this process and learned a ton. To be fair, uh, I do have to agree with him. Um, I'm a college dropout, I, you know, uh, and if I'd stayed in, I wanted to get a degree in philosophy. I wanted to teach. And I'm in a completely different field and I'm, I'm self-taught. So I, I see the point in that. But at the same time, you don't go to college just to learn a particular skill. You can do that in a trade school. You, you, learn, to, you, you learn differences in, in your point of view to other people. You learn other ways of thinking. You have a social experience as a young adult that you don't have when you're in high school because every day you go home to your family. Really, what what the college experience should be is learning to be a productive member of society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, 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 and I think the extent to which that's happening is a is still an open debate. I agree. Luke, did you have a comment? I guess I was just going to agree with that. It's kind of why you have a core curriculum in a university. Coming out of high school, you're just starting to get your feet under you as a human being and as an adult. And uh, you don't. You might think you know what you want to do, but as you explore, like kind of mandatory breadth across a broader range of topics than you were initially considering, you might find that, hey, maybe you're really passionate about history or literature or whatever, something that you never thought was going to be your, the thing that you would be interested about. So I definitely agree with that. You know, I, I think that we could actually, you know, if as tech leaders, if we did a better job of pushing for some basic education, how to balance a checkbook, how to pay your taxes, how to use turn signals. I think that these are things that as, as leaders, we could sort of influence the people that interact with us mm -hmm. uh, in terms of education. But, you know, telling people go to college, don't go to college. I think that's a personal choice. So for those that don't uh, know, Doug is based in Florida and uh, anyone who has visited Florida is now nodding their head in understanding about his turn signal comment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I remember visiting Florida as a younger man and being just astonished at how differently people drove there than my home state of Texas. Um, and it felt a lot more like, like a competition, you know, than, uh, you know, and if you, if you used your turn signal, you were like reducing your ability to navigate effectively by tipping your hand about what you (laughs) intended to do. Yeah. Is that the Florida of 2021? Oh yeah. It's a battlefield some days. So one more question. We do have to return to connected devices at some point or our entire audience will abandon me. But um, you mentioned wanting to pursue a degree in philosophy. Is, is Doug Robertson, the CTO, a teacher, do you think? Like, do you, it, to what extent have you actually fulfilled that mission for yourself? You know, actually, the, probably the most rewarding part of my career was in the 90s when I, I taught some continuing education classes. There were... Um, people who were middle-aged at that time who were transitioning from using adding machines and, and, you know, analog devices in their office work and they needed help transitioning to word, Excel, and so on. So I, I, I taught a really business focused, a business centric uh, version of classes on how to use these applications. And remember in the nineties, it was a way different world technology wise than it is today. And I have to say that the, the teaching experience, seeing people learning something that I knew that they were going to go back and be able to keep their job, that was very rewarding for me. So every opportunity I have to do any sort of teaching, I still do. And believe it or not, my job gives me a lot of opportunities. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I you see the most effective executives over and over are those that are really effective at teaching. I think people think of it as a managing job, but like the best ones are you know, I think investing in the people around them and working to make them better. To some degree, that's what I really find fantastic about Vary and the work that we do is that you see so many mistakes and lessons that various companies have made that when you're introduced to a new company or a new team that's trying to develop something, you can kind of help them skirt around those mistakes. And in a way, you're teaching them, you're teaching that company what you've learned from accumulative experiences of a bunch of other projects and a bunch of other teams have already been through. So it's kind of that that same teaching philosophy push forward to like teaching businesses and new uh, teams that are being built up. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, we we spend a lot of time, I think, trying to push that forward for our clients. Doug, one of the things that you that we spent some time on in the pre-interview that I thought was really interesting was the importance of saying no. You know, Luke spent many years at Apple. I think Apple might be the the best company in the world at saying no effectively and deliberately. What what do you like? How does Alterco think about that? How does Doug think about that? Like, talk a little bit about the importance of no when developing connected devices and technology products. Well, uh, from a personal standpoint, I actually wish that I had had someone like Barry back in 2017 when I was working on my project, someone who could have said, "No, you're not going to get the return that you're looking for on this." Mm-hmm. But in, in terms of uh, our product development, we we are very tightly focused on. Our roadmap, we we have the the products that we feel are going to best serve our customers. And while we do get requests for things, for example, a very popular request is for white label. And if we were to start offering white label services for firmware, for our app, for the cloud service, we we wouldn't be able to offer the same level of service that we give to our, our customers who are actually buying our brand of products. When you're talking about daily updates on a mobile app or weekly updates on various firmware, and then you have to distribute that with someone else's branding, it becomes a a full-time company just to do that work. And the return just isn't there. So 
we say no a lot when it comes to uh, requests for white label. Luke, go thinking back to your time at Apple, what would you say is like the most powerful lesson you learned about the word no from Apple? They seem to be exceptional at it. It's actually one of the things. So when you, you get to a certain kind of a higher level in the company, you do a lot of executive training about how you make decisions and how you communicate those decisions to the team, that sort of thing. And one of the one of the core messages is say no a lot. And, you know, nobody misses CD drives and their computers and nobody misses floppy drives and their computers now. But at the time, it was like it was saying no to a lot of customers that were banging the table wanting those things to stay in their in their next MacBook. Um, and I think that so being uh, very judicious and you see it in the content that Apple produces, whether it's advertising or whatever, simplicity and cleanliness and kind of only putting out there what you need to do what you're trying to do. And saying no to a lot of superfluous stuff just drives simplicity and just removes a lot of failure modes, whether it's a technical failure mode or an application failure mode or whatever. Uh, If you don't put additional complexity that you don't need, you solve a lot of problems before you have them. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm blessed to have a wife that I'm extremely close with and everyone that meets her you know, thinks she's this fantastic woman. Luke flirts with her shamelessly every time he sees her, which is, I think, wildly inappropriate. But (laughs) when people ask me, you know, what's the secret to having a marriage that is great? I say, look, man, it all starts with marrying the right person. And here is the only rule that matters when it comes to, you know, finding the, the right person to marry. If you can live without someone, do it. And only if you can't, should you get married? And I think married people, there's probably a lot of married people out there nodding their head right now saying, yeah, okay, that, that checks out. And we at very, that's really our approach to product development. You know, if you can, if the world can live without this product, then it should, you know, and only if this is something that is like, there is a strong pull and need for it to exist in the marketplace. Should you continue to the next square and spend, you know, a million or five or whatever to, to bring something into the world. And when viewed through that, you know, we find that that's powerful for answering some product market fit questions. Does the world absolutely need this? Does it solve a problem that nothing else is solving? You know, if you're not getting yeses to these important questions, then, you know, maybe you're talking more about like a hobby or a neat thing that could be done versus something that you should really go invest in. Does that resonate with like how you look at product development? Absolutely. Um, You've got to solve a problem in order to sell a product. I mean, of course, there are always, you know, there, there are vanity products. There are, hey, this is cool products. But to, to really have something substantial, you've got to, you've got to ease a, a pain point. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to have something that you're providing. And that's actually what IoT is all about. IoT is, is the biggest tool we have today to solve problems. And that's, it covers every industry, every market, it covers everything from home automation to utilities to, to everything. IOT can, can change every part of our society. We just have to be empowered and we have to be smart about it. So I'm going to let you choose your own adventure. Next question can be the statement, hardware is hard, which I know your philosophy is hardware can be hard. Or we can talk about, you've mentioned firmware a bunch. We consider ourselves to be kind of firmware experts. We're super passionate about firmware land. There are people out there that may not understand the importance of security in firmware. And it's also kind of a, an interesting topic. What uh, what turns your crank? What direction you want to go? 
Well, actually, if if we can go into security, and uh, I sort of lump data security and data privacy together, mm-hmm. because they are two sides of the same coin. You you want to keep your data secure. You want to keep your information private. So uh, a big concern that I have, and one of the the reasons why I absolutely loved the Shelley brand before I even came to work here, was that you have the option to use it entirely on its own. You don't have to use the app. You don't have to connect it to the cloud. And when you do connect the products to the app or to the cloud, no personal information is retained. You have an email address, you have a hashed password, um, but no, no identifying information about you is retained. At a local level, the devices will store a generalized location based on your IP so that you can use uh, sunrise and sunset with offsets in your scheduling. But other than that, there's nothing to say what part of the world you're in or who you are, uh, how many how many friends you have over. There's, there's no information about you. So I, I think that that's an important lesson for a lot of companies. Why are they collecting data? They hope to monetize on it. At that point, your product isn't the product. Your customer is the product. Companies need to make products and give their consumers the option to just opt out completely. I want full local control. The best data security is local control. If you're not connected to a cloud, then there's there's no question of security. Everything is within your firewall. So, I mean, just to like comment on that. It seems like there there's a gr- like a groundswell movement in that direction. It maybe is coming late. You know, I think there's uh, the last 15 years have seemed to underscore for a lot of companies that data is the cake itself. You know, Luke is famous for saying it's the icing on the cake. It can't be the cake itself. Do you do you think that the the pendulum is swinging back the other way, or do you think that we're still in a going in a problematic direction? I think we're still going in a problematic direction. And part of that is because it's consumer driven. A lot of people don't realize that there are options. And for a lot of people, the convenience of cloud control is great, but let it be a choice. That's, that's the key. On the topic. Okay. So, so you've, we're talking about data security. We're talking about data collection, just drilling into the security. You know, I mentioned firmware, how do you guys, I, I know that's an area, like a, an area of, it's not security as you intended to use the word, but like, it's a separate topic within security. How do you think about shipping firmware updates and ensuring that like that's happening in a secure way? Well, um, we host our firmware on our cloud service. You have the option also to download the firmware and host it yourself. So in, in terms of options and the ability to choose, if you don't want your devices connecting, if you don't feel that it's secure to connect to our cloud service, grab the file, host it locally, and then there's never a question because, again, it's back behind your firewall. As a matter of fact, well, you're not required to even use our firmware. It doesn't void the warranty if you install open source firmware or write your own. Mm-hmm. Again, it's all about choices, and choice is the greatest security. Yeah, I think I, you certainly see that playing out in the in the broader spectrum of the tech space today with you know Apple, Facebook, and those things, and kind of the security of data and making your own choices about what you want to do with data. 
as a company priority, you've, you, you guys have made that a company priority, and I certainly agree and support that. I was kind of thinking about that when you were talking about how IoT has this uh, potential to change literally every aspect of our lives is like everything we interact with can now be connected together or to the internet or whatever. And security and privacy and your ability to make decisions about what you want exposed or not exposed um, is really important to making people feel safe with that level of integration into every aspect of their lives. And so I think that the point you're making about firmware security, data security, and personal choice resonates well with me. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And like I said, it, it is entirely possible to offer complete privacy to some customers, but at the same time to offer full cloud services and, you know, a combination of local control and cloud service. We're proving that. So Doug, we're getting to the end of our time together. I got two questions. They're related. Uh, This is a lot of people's favorite portion of the podcast. What's the coolest product that you guys make in your opinion? And what's the coolest product that you don't make uh, that, that nobody knows about? you know, product that you're a big fan of? Okay, the the coolest product that we make, hands down, has to be the Shelly 3EM. It's an energy monitoring product that can work with up to three phases. It has uh, CTs that wrap around a wire and measure the current that's moving through them. It has a contactor control, so it can control the circuit, turn it off or on. And so uh, even though our products are designed in Europe where you have single phase wiring that's 240 volts, uh, here in the U.S., we have two-phase wiring uh, to to get higher voltages. So it, it's nice to have the ability to measure and control that with, uh, you know, that works in both continents. But what really makes this device special is that it can uh, save your energy monitoring data f- locally for a year. Uh, we also have a free cloud service where you can store it, but uh, it can transmit this data through MQTT, through REST, CoAP. You've got the ability to to use it with virtually any SCADA or uh, IoT platform building management software, but you can also use it at home. You can use it with, say, for example, your solar installation to make sure that when you're dumping power back into the grid, you get appropriate credits. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get a lot of attention. It actually just won the, uh, it's a category winner for uh, electrical construction and maintenance product of the year for monitoring and control. I just got the... Um, the first advanced copies of the uh, special issue. So I'm really excited that uh, that's going to be coming out soon. Now, you also asked about another product that people might know about that's not made by my company. I'd have to say that's Home Assistant Blue because now you've got the ability for uh, an integrator or professional electronics installer to uh, tuck one of these small hubs under his arm and walk into someone's home and virtually guaranteed to have the ability to automate 90, 95% of the products that they've bought at Best Buy, at Amazon, Walmart, wherever, if it's a connected product, someone somewhere has made an integration for Home Assistant for it. And with a little work, you can you can give this automation system the same sort of look and feel that you get from premium control systems. I think that it's going to be a game changer for the small, independent uh, home electronics professional. Awesome. Way to go, Blue. Doug, we're we're basically out of time today. I feel like I could ask you questions, uh, uh, you know, for a lot longer. I do want to ask, you know, one last question. You know, you when I mentioned to you that the kind of famous phrase "hardware is hard," Doug's philosophy was hardware can be hard. 
we've got an audience of uh, business leaders and and technical leaders out there that are thinking about connected devices. Maybe they've been tasked with executing on something. What do you think if you were talking directly to them? You know, what should they be thinking about with regards to beginning to execute against a connected device strategy? Well, experience tells. So you've got to have the right team to put together hardware. You know, yes, hardware is hard if you're inexperienced. I I come from personal experience where I can say it is very difficult to develop a hardware product from the ground up. But if you've got experience with PCB design, with writing firmware, with your basic electronics, if you've got abilities on your team, you can do it. So the lesson is build the right team before you build the product. The team is everything. Yeah, I think the, the, the other couple of things that jump out at me about that are, are one, I've worked with at and with a fair number of software-centric companies that wanted to get into hardware. And my first question is always, are you sure you want to get into hardware? Because <laughs> hardware is like real stuff and it's expensive. And if you have to fix it, it's like you have to like bring things back and put new things out there. You can't just flash an update a lot of the times. And so it's a real investment. And the second thing is making sure that you do a really good job of a comprehensive risk assessment, like really identify the high risk things, things that have to be invented or were really hard last time or have never been done this way and burn those risks down as quickly as possible. Because otherwise you can spend a lot of money developing hardware products and never, you know, and have this big risk out there that you're just pushing down later and later in your development path and making it more and more expensive. Exactly. Doug, last, last, last question. You're a friend of the show. We want to make sure that we uh, give you a plug. I know you've got a podcast of your own. What do we, what do folks out there need to know? And uh, who's the right audience? Who out there would you know be really into what you've got going on? So uh, I just started the Make IoT Simple podcast. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go to your Amazon Echo and say, Alexa, play the Make IoT Simple podcast, you'll get the first episode. Um, the the target audience is your your B2B professional, whether that's an engineering firm or it's a, you know, a home electronics installer, just if you're looking for a way to use IoT products to solve a problem for your customer, I'm going to teach you about our products. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Make IoT Simple podcast host and CTO of Alterco, Doug Robertson. Doug, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. You shouldn't have to worry about IoT projects dragging on or unreliable vendors. You've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. Very's close-knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers, and curious builders know how to turn your ideas into a reality, on time and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, We'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com. You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.